This is Building Optimal, a podcast to help builders and remodelers take your construction business to the next level. Welcome to episode 26. I am sitting in the Monterey, Mexico airport, which is the reason for the poor audio quality. It's actually a cardinal sin in the world of podcasting. But screw it, I want to get this episode out there because it's a good one with Sherry Allshouse. Sherry's been on the podcast before, one of our first episodes, and she is a CPA and a home building accountant. And she's one of the best, if not the best, that I've ever come across in the space. And today, she is going to be talking to us about some commonly overlooked areas of your financial statements. So check it out. Enjoy. Sherry, today we're talking about several, specifically six, commonly overlooked accounts on the financials that can cost you money. And you're here to explain to us exactly what those are and, and why we should be reviewing those on a on a monthly basis. So I think the thing to do today is I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you let you run through those six, if that sounds good. That sounds great. Yeah. And, and before we get, even get into some of this detail, I kind of want to look at the bigger picture and the, some of the things that we see, because what's happening is the ultimate goal is to have a secure feeling about your financials. And I can't tell you how many builders, when they come to us, they don't even trust their financials and they don't even know how to look at their financials to know if they should trust it. They just say, well, I just get it. I put it to my bank or I use it to do my tax return. And they're really not using it what it should be used for, which is helping them to make uh, some business decisions. So what we really want to do is what you talked about, kind of looking at some of the basic accounts and seeing what they should be looking at and narrowing in on to get that done. And really, this is something they can do very quickly. Now, again, I say quickly because that's going to depend on how many jobs you have, if, you know, loans uh, that you have outstanding, et cetera. But really, when we look at a custom builder that may have 10 active jobs going on and they're monitoring that jobs, this probably be 60 minutes or less. We've actually done it with clients and we did it in 30 minutes. So in and I'm not saying you're going to fix your problem in that 30 minutes, but you're going to identify things that you need to drill in on so that you can start feeling more comfortable with your financials. So also what I want to do is I know a lot of our builders use QuickBooks. So I want to point out a few things that uh, the software has a uh, problem spot with so that they can be looking for those issues as well. So we're just going to cover, you know, a few basics. And then if we have any leftover time, we can hit a couple more. So what I wanted to cover was bank statements, credit cards, the accounts receivables, accounts payable, inventory, and customer deposits. And we'll kind of go through it kind of in that order. Cool. So let's go ahead and look at bank statements. Now, everybody knows they're supposed to do a bank reconciliation. And really, it should be done in the first 10 days. But that isn't where you stop because most people say, oh, I did my bank recs and I'm good. When we ask them, have you done that? Oh, yeah, no, I'm good. But what we find out is they don't look at that bank reconciliation. And there's things on there that you should be seeing you know, or you should not see. We actually have seen bank reconciliations in which we have seen a old deposit. 
that should send up red flags to you right away because there should be no reason that you have a deposit that's more than several days old. Oh, of course. Would yeah. you agree? I'm sitting here thinking why that would even happen. So, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. And let me give you an example of what happens. A check comes in, somebody hasn't either A, put the invoice into the system, so one person hasn't seen it, and they just make the deposit to get it into the bank account. And they just put it in there. And then what happens is the other person comes behind, they actually receive payment, and they put it into the bank account. They do it the right way. So now I have two deposits. The person goes and does the bank reconciliation that just takes off the one deposit. Well, you've got to look at who you have in that position as a bookkeeper. If it isn't you as the owner, as a bookkeeper, they're checking things off saying, I've got this done. Here's the bank reconciliation. They may not have seen that or known to look for that, but we have seen that. And that's exactly the scenario where they just took the deposit, put it in the bank. They wanted to show that the bank account went up. They put that in and then someone came behind and did receipt of the payment. What's the ideal workflow to avoid something like that? Invoice, always first. Okay. Then you go and you receive the payment and then you make the deposit. So if somebody gets a check in the mail and they can't identify the invoice in the system, they need to be asking, what do I do with this? So that don't ever deposit. Yeah, don't ever deposit if you can't find that matching invoice first. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and but it happens. And I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. <laughs> so I know it does happen. The other thing is that people aren't looking at is how old their checks are that they have outstanding to their trades. I've seen checks outstanding. We get at the end of the year, we'll get their books. One of the first things we do is look at what hasn't cleared the banks. And there's checks in there that are a year old. They're there from the first of the year. When they start digging, what they found out was they reissued the check and they didn't clear out the old one. And so they didn't even make the journal entry to clear it out. So sometimes they'll re-enter the bill twice to cut the new check. So now you've overdone your cost on that job mm -hmm. or they just do a check to get it out and it hits some random account and you've overstated that account. So again, it's making sure that when you have that bank reconciliation in front of you, you're just not looking at things that cleared. You go down to the bottom and see what hasn't cleared and how old it is and make sure that makes sense to you. Because we have at times we have trades out in the field that we're holding a check and we're not going to release it to them until they have done it. But sometimes our project managers or whatever will hold the checks way too long and it's really gone past its usefulness because most people should have a date on their check saying it's only good for six months after the date on the check. And that's what okay. you'll see to have that. So that's, those are kind of the things that I see. Another thing that I'll see with the bank statements is that uh, they'll do downloads instead of entering their checks into the system, they literally go and they just do downloads and then they code it up. And that's just, Builders are really small and they say, okay, well, I'm just going to have it all downloaded into my system and then I'll code it out. Well, that doesn't work real well when you are in our line of business. We should be proactive in recording our checks into the system and not waiting for them to clear the bank. So that is really, I just, a best practice. I'm just not a big fan of the download. 
Okay. Now you're issuing POs that gets self-resolved, does it not? Or, or no? No, that's correct. That is the best practice. I'm glad you brought that up. Issuing POs, I am a huge fan of that because that will solve the problem Okay. because you won't be able to pay. The bill will come in and you'll pay the bill. Now, it doesn't solve the problem in the sense of you're holding a check because you're, you're saying, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Plumber, I want you to fix this. And as soon as you fix this, I'm going to hand you this check. Yeah. And that happens. That's, you know, not a lot, but it does happen to where you hold that check because you aren't going to release it. And that check can be sitting in that project manager's hands for several months. And we allowed it. We said, okay, we're okay with that if you're holding that over them. But at a certain point, we say the check has to come back. That if you've held it six months, there's an issue. There's a bigger issue than this at stake here. Yeah. So that's what we do. And then the other thing to look for, too, is I have actually seen old and cold electronic fund transfers. And it's the same issue where they input it one way, they let a download come in it, and they do it that way. And so they have two electronic fund transfers come in for the same thing, and they only click off one. We should just, it's one of those things you just look at. It should never have a deposit that is old or electronic fund transfer that is old. Okay. So get that out. Good advice. Okay. Yeah. Now, and so you say, well, what am I leaving on the table? Well, what you're leaving on the table is not knowing the true job costs. So another piece of that can be if you're a cost plus person, you've billed out wrong to your customer or you haven't billed out correctly to the customer if you've got stuff like that going on. Now, the other thing is on credit cards. That's something else that should be reconciled. I've seen it done several different ways where people take their credit cards at the month end or whenever they get the statement and they enter it all at once. I see other people that do downloads. I'm good with both. On the download for the credit cards, the reason I'm okay with that is that's instantaneous. You're not going to have an outstanding credit card charge to somebody. That's going to come in automatically. And in today's world, so many of our builders are using their credit cards to buy product that they're getting you know, up to $40,000 back in rebate, cash rebate. And that's a huge number. So I'm I'm good with the credit cards, you know, coming as a download, you using your credit cards, because that's a good chunk of change. Yeah, well, and it provides extra float mm-hmm. on your receivable cycle or your payable cycle. Right, right. And we'll get to that because we shouldn't have to float our customers. Yeah. <laughs> it's one thing <laughs> floating us if we're spec, but not our customers. Yeah, we've talked about this a few times, so I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get to that part of this. <laughs> I won't jump ahead just yet, though. Okay. That, but that's okay. But yeah, that's exactly. So I am good of having that. But again, when you're doing your credit cards, we have seen credit card theft. So make sure you're looking at your credit card statement as part of your monthly process. I think guys are pretty good at that, but not always. Uh, but make sure when you're going through that, that you're looking at these charges and these charges make sense to you. Uh, One of the things that we always recommend is if you've got several people that you allow to use the credit cards, that they have a credit card with their own number and it feeds into the main account so that you can pinpoint where that card was being utilized. 
But again, it's one of those things, I'm okay with it having download, but just make sure you're looking at everything. The one account that we're going to talk about that is really QuickBooks driven is the undeposited account. And how this is utilized is for payment of invoices. So for example, I have three checks that come in and for the sake of argument, each one's $5,000. So I have a total of $15,000, but each 5,000 is for a different customer. So we would receive payment against our invoices. And now we're going to sit there with these 15,000. Now I may not be able to get to the bank today, but I'll get to it tomorrow. But how the bank recognizes it is just $15,000. They don't do three $5,000 checks on your statement. They just show 15000 So this undeposit account, I call it like your holding drawer. So all the checks are sitting in there until you go to the bank. So what should happen with that account is it should go down to zero. So if we're at the end of the month, at January 31st, we had $15,000 in our hand. On February 1st, we go make the deposit. What the builder should be looking for is to see that that 15000 got deposited the next month and that my undeposited zero out. Because again, this is an account that can get out of whack and all different reasons. The good thing about QuickBooks, it's easy to use. You can correct mistakes. The bad thing is you can easily change things. And I've seen people delete stuff they shouldn't delete, which would affect this undeposited account and affect other things. So it's just a way to check to know that that undeposited is correct. And that's all you're looking for. It does it zero out within a day to two day period from when you made these deposits. Okay. And you're saying we'll, we'll be able to see that in the reconciliation. Well, the rec there isn't a reconciliation. This one is a little different. You're oh, actually okay. going to have – yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, the bank recs and credit cards, you have reconciliations. The undeposit account, you literally would have to go in, look it for that account. It, mm, and if okay. it's just zero, it's zero already. But you can run it the next day and see if it zeroes out. Okay. Just run your balance sheet for February 1st, opposed to January 31st. Yeah. And how often do we need to, do we include this in our monthly yes. set of reports? Yes. Monthly set. Okay. Yeah. All right. You I'm just want to look at this on a monthly basis uh, just to make sure. Because that way, if it does get out, you at least narrow it down and you're only out in a one month period. Yeah. Opposed to a full year period. So that's why you want to kind of look at this one on a monthly basis. The next one that you want to look at is your accounts receivable. And I know this sounds basic, but we have a lot of builders that do not run their aging report. And we really recommend that you go in there and you run your aging report at least once a month to see what your balance is. And what you want to look for is that anything that is past 60 days. Now you'd say, well, surely we're collecting quicker than that. And yeah, and you could have a dispute with the customer, but just know that, yes, I know that receivable is outstanding for that specific customer for over 60 days. Because again, remember we talked about the whole deposit issue of somebody coming in and just making a deposit to the bank account and not clearing out the AR? Yeah. That's exactly what would happen. So we could be sitting there thinking $100,000 is supposed to come in from a customer 
and probably say, well, I would make sure I know where my 100,000 is. And I, I agree with that statement. <laughs> but we're just going to say there's 100,000. The 100,000 came in and the bookkeeper just recorded it straight to deposit. And what the other side of it, they put to gross revenue. They didn't put it against the accounts receivable. Yeah. And so now I've overstated my income by that 100,000 from the invoice plus the 100,000 that went in as a deposit. Yeah. And, and actually, I think that it sounds real simple on, or I think like, well, yeah, that's too simple. Like we would never let that happen. But the, the thing in, is that there are so many, I mean, there, we went back and looked and I don't know what the number was, but I mean, we had thousands and thousands of transactions just last year in 2018 for my business. And we're not even, I mean, we're, uh, I still consider us a smallish home builder, custom mm -hmm. home builder. So I mean, it can spiral out of control in a hurry and the things that seem like are, they're simple right. can easily get overlooked. So that's why I, I just want to reinforce the importance of some of these things like what you're saying right here on the on the AR. Right. And like you said, the, the accounts receivable for a home builder is usually not as big a deal as the next account we're going to talk about is accounts payable. The thousands of transactions is your accounts payable. That's, that's right. really what yep. you're looking at. And that's even more critical to go do that aging report. Okay. Yeah, let's hear that. Yeah. So again, depending on where you sit on your payables, if you're a good payer, you shouldn't see anything that is past the 30-day mark and you're overdue. If you're a good payer and managing your payables, you shouldn't see anything past that. If you see something past that, you need to drill in and say, why haven't I paid that? And again, it could be that you have an invoice on hold because this is what we would do is if we had a dispute with a vendor on the amount, for example, like you say, the PO, but we had a PO for $1,000, but he sent a bill for $1,250. Well, the problem is we have the $250 as a problem. We would put that invoice on hold, the entire amount, and we'd literally type hold in front of the invoice number. So that way, if we were looking at anything that was over 60, we could see immediately going into the detail what was on hold. And we should see everything on hold. And that's why we're sitting in the over 60. I'm not saying there aren't stress times that you get past that date. But as a usual, you're just looking for that. The other thing you're looking for when you're doing that aging report is if you have any negatives that are in the 60 and 90 day column. Because what's happened there, two things if you're in QuickBooks. One is you've not applied credit memos. So you may have a vendor where in your 30 day or present column, let's say you owe him $10,000. But if you go out to the 90 day column, there's a negative $1,000 out there. That means either A, there's, let's just assume the good thing, there's a credit memo. And that means we haven't been applying that credit memo to his invoices. And we need to make sure we capture that. So I always recommend not only the once a month, but even after you run a check run, check your payable again and see if there's any negatives showing up there that should have been credit memos that you should have utilized on your check. Because QuickBooks is a little funky because they require you a little extra step to apply the credit to those invoices. And I see that missed a lot. Okay. So make sure you're doing that. The other thing that I see happen is people will 
make a payment on a bill that was in the system, then the bill gets voided. And it could be for a multitude of reasons. They void the bill, but the check is still there. And so there's this negative check. And you're going to be able to see that when you go into the detail of the age payable, because it will say bill payment opposed to bill credit. So you can see the difference between that negative. Is it because there was a payment made and no bill that it was hooked to? Or is there a credit memo I can still use? Okay. And so it, it is, it sounds weird. It happens. It just, it's one of those things that you just have to do a little digging. And again, it gets back to QuickBooks, has its little weirdness or it's, you know, not niceness where people can delete things on you. But just there is an audit trail. FYI, people can look for the audit trail to see what happened. But you got to be able to narrow down the time. Yeah. And that can get a little difficulties there. Well, now, what about this? The What has happened, we've got a system for this now, but I'll throw out a hypothetical mm -hmm. that probably affects other people. So um, our framer comes to us and says that he needs, you know, he needs a, we've got a break process or whatever because he wants it, he needs a check a little early this time and we decide to help him out. So mm -hmm. we cut him a check. And then for whatever reason, either it doesn't, it's not registered in our system or his bookkeeper or accountant because we broke process is sending the same bill and we somehow get double billed or, mm -hmm. or we, we pay twice. What system do you recommend to avoid things like that where somebody in your company is, is paying the same bill twice? Yeah, you really should create a check that goes into advance to trades and it, you don't use a regular invoice because that does get a little confusing. So I would say if you're going to advance somebody, you advance it. And then you create a credit memo right then and there that does the offset. So this is where we're going to have a little accounting talk. Okay. <laughs> so I apologize for that. No, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I would create a bill that goes into, on our balance sheet, a prepaid to the vendor. And so let's just say that, like you said, you had your framer out there, they needed a little advancement, and you're willing to advance $6,000 to them. So that is a bill that you create internally, and it's sitting on your balance sheet as advance to trades. And so it's really a prepaid to trades. So, But then at the same time, you turn around and you issue a credit memo that goes against that same account that prepaid. So it'll zero it out. And now it's sitting on your accounts payable and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Makes sense. Is that what you guys have done? Yeah. So we did that. And then we also tried to implement a little more complex internal system to avoid mm -hmm. those things mm -hmm. on our end, which we can, we can get into another time. I don't want to hijack your <laughs> Your subject here. Well, um, hold on to that thought and maybe we can come back to it. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we want to, yeah, because there's only a couple more major accounts to look at and then we can come back to that, some of those things like that, that you're talking about. Because those are, that's a great example. So no, absolutely. So the next account that we kind of look at is our inventory account. And how we do that is we, we run a report for the inventory, either by job or by class, however you have your QuickBooks set up. And that way, 
what we can see is we should be able to, all that should be in our inventory at this point are our jobs that we're still constructing. Anything that's closed, we need to get out of our inventory. If we are cost plus, this is where it's really critical. You need to look at that and say, oh, do I need to bill some stuff out? Have I missed billing some things out? So when you're looking at your inventory is to run a job cost report on your inventory at the end of the month to make sure it looks right. And like I said, you can see how quick, if you have these reports memorized, how quickly you can go through this process. Yeah. This is not now, I'm not saying you aren't going to have things you have to fix, but you're going to be able to identify these issues very quickly and start getting a gauge of how you feel about your financials. Customer deposits, again, the same thing. We want to run a report by our jobs or classes. And when I say classes, again, that is a QuickBooks terminology, but a job report that's in our customer deposits. All that we should see in there is our open jobs. Nothing for our closed jobs. That should all be removed. The other thing that I like to run is a balance sheet by my open jobs because what I'm looking for is that my inventory is not above my customer deposits. And we're going to talk build on your lot programs, not my specs. But our build on our lot programs where we're either doing cost plus or a fixed price. We should never be funding our customers. And so the first thing I do is I look at the balance sheet. And if overall my customer deposits are ahead of my inventory, I'm feeling pretty good. But then I want to drill down a little bit more and I want to see for all my open jobs, where do my customer deposits sit relative to my inventory that's on my balance sheet? And again, going job by job, all you got to do is look and see if the customer deposit is bigger. So again, if, if you have 10 jobs, what's that going to take you? Two minutes once you have the report set up. So it's really a quick see of... Has anybody got ahead of me? Yeah. Now, when you are talking about your inventory and your customer deposits, how do you treat the works in process accounts? Is that, well, I guess quite frankly, we don't use an inventory account on our balance sheet. We have our, we have our work in process account. And now now I'm wondering if we need to re completely reconfigure things. Yeah, it should be on your inventory and what happens uh, if you're cost plus, uh, Jared, is that correct? Your cost plus? We actually do both. Do we, both? Yeah. Okay. So no matter what, it should be running to your balance sheet. Yeah. And so what happens, so we'll talk about cost plus first because that's really, to me, the easiest. So what's going to happen is the bill comes in, you code the bill, it increases your inventory. So let's just say it's $1,000 that came in from my tile guy. And so my inventory went up by $1,000. When I go bill it out to the customer, it's going to pull $1,000 out of inventory. So it's going to take it back down to zero when I bill everything out. And that would sit on my customer's invoice going out. We're going to have a detailed list of all the bills that we're charging them for for the cost. Then we add our plus portion down at the bottom. So it's just an in and out of the inventory 
once you do the invoice going out to your customer. So that's why it zeroes out at the end of the day. So that's why you run that inventory report, because if your cost plus, even your cost plus people give you a deposit, at least I hope. (laughs) So let's say they give you $50,000 as the deposit down. What you're making sure at the end of the month that you have billed out to them for the costs that have come in and that they haven't gotten above that $50,000 mark on you at any point in time of that deposit sitting there. Yeah. So you don't, you don't get behind. Right. So as soon as you bill it out, it's going to take it off. Now let's understand there may be a delay in the customers getting you paid, but again, you have your aging receivable sitting there. So you're going to know that, that, Hey, you know, one of my cost plus guys is, is a little delay here. You know, what's going on. Uh, So that's where you're kind of going there. Now, your fixed price jobs, that's going to be different in the sense of your inventory is going to grow until you actually close out the job and you finish it. So if you say, Sherry, I'm going to build your house for a million dollars. So as time goes on, we're going to accumulate. And let's say we're halfway through the job. Well, of course, halfway through the job. For this is three hundred thousand in costs, but you should have collected five hundred thousand dollars from me. I know that's a good margin. I'm going to give you a good margin on this. Yeah, so, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd take that all day, right? Yeah. So, so would I. <laughs> Not as a customer, but as a builder. <laughs> so, so, but unless you know, quality, it's worth something, right? That's right. So, five hundred thousand would be what we would see in our customer deposit. And 300000 would be in our inventory cost. And not until we got done with the job would we remove the inventory and we remove the customer deposit. Yeah. Now, is, is there any benefit to having separate inventory accounts for cost plus versus fixed price? No. Okay. No. Because what's happening is you would have to have, if you're using purchase orders and the job cost system within QuickBooks, uh, you would have to have a whole nother set of items. So you want to be able to use the same items and just know that you type your jobs, your customers, whether they're cost plus or fixed price, so that you can run those reports based on fixed price or cost plus if you want to be able to separate them. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if we have time to get into this, but Kurt told me one time that the IRS has some finicky classifications as to like we have a contract that we think might be fixed price but as we're doing this for tax purposes the irs may classify it the other way so if that's right then i just want to point out there may be some nuances that we need to be considering as builders that our cpas can help us with to figure out exactly how to classify our contracts Well, and your contracts really should spell it out. So, yeah, the IRS allows for it, but so does GAP, completed contract. Okay. And completed contract says uh, it's basically I am building it for this price and will close hopefully at this date. That's your completed contract. Cost plus is literally saying I'm getting this fee as guaranteed to me during this time frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're okay, looking Okay, I think I had misunderstood that from Kurt then a while back. I was thinking that I could have a fixed price contract that the IRS may view in another light. But you know what I think? I think I hit, I was confusing that with how they view uh, percentage completion versus yeah. 
completed contract, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. For a home builder, a completed contract is where you want to go. Percentage completion, I've only heard one person do it because you've got to guess, you know, how much cost do I have left? Do I have a run overrun? I mean, that's management every time you close your books, looking at every single project. Yeah. And making a decision of how much revenue you should recognize and how much unbilled costs. I mean, unbilled revenue and how much costs. I mean, it's a nightmare. Yeah. But on, on cost plus at the end of the year, when you're reporting on taxes, are you fixed price? I get that. It's completed contract. But what about uh, what about cost plus? It's the percentage. It's your okay. plus portion. Is all yeah. 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 You're just reporting your percentage. You could never report that on completed contract. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's it's the gross sales price, whatever you've got there. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and those are the major ones that we look at. Now, loans, again, if you're a spec builder, this is something you can look at once a month. But I highly recommend every time an interest payment comes in that you run a report and make sure it ties right then and there. But at least at the end of the month, by bank, you have the right amount that's outstanding on your balance sheet. And again, those things can go and I've seen them go into revenue that the bookkeeper put it into revenue, the draws, they didn't know what it was and they just threw it to revenue or they threw it to a customer deposit. They didn't know where it came in and they just took a guess. So a good thing is to make sure that you know what your loan balance is and that they're tying because if you're sending your financials off to the bank, that's something they're going to check. Yeah. <laughs> and so so you want to have some credibility with your financials that those tie out. Then just, you know, last two things that we kind of look at, the equity section, what is what we call retained earnings, which is the earnings that you have made prior to the current year that have accumulated. Check with especially in QuickBooks that that number is the same as it was in the prior month. Because sometimes people will enter and they'll hit a prior year, which will change that retain. Then you'll know there's an issue. So you're just making sure that number doesn't change from January to February on your balance sheet. And if it does, that you need to go figure out why. It sounds to me it's somebody recorded a bill or something in a prior period. Okay. So that's the catch for mistakes with prior periods. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a good place to do it. And then once we do all that, I mean, those are the major balance sheets. Then we look at the profit and loss statement and we run it two basic ways. We'll run a standard report that will show our percentage of revenue. So what we're looking for is any indirect costs, which should be like our superintendent, small tools, warranty. Well, not warranty, small tools to see what that percentage is of our revenue. Also, what our overall gross margin was to see if that's going up and down. And then going into our overhead to see if those have changed significantly from prior periods. So we usually have several months in a row to see how those percentages are moving and to see if we need to drill in, because you may see all of a sudden office expense was up in December, $4,000, you know, or you see this big percentage increase and you look at that and go, well, what just happened here? Normally my office expense is only $1,000. Well, you drill in and lo and behold, that's where your Christmas party's at. Yeah. You go, 
check, done, I move on. <laughs> but again, it's comparing. It, it, you don't want to look at it in isolation. You do want to see what you're trending for for the year, or is this going to be a permanent trend as I move forward? And I need to adjust how I am, you know, what I'm doing to make this work. The other thing that we do is a job cost report of the jobs that closed for the month to make sure our margins are looking what we expect them to see. So if you're always doing 20, 25% margins, well, then each one of those jobs, what you're trying to see is, are they at the 20, 25%? Now, of course, some will be up and some will be down, but you just need to know, yes, I expected that. For example, for specs, I held that one longer than I held the other one. So I had a bigger interest charge on it. So I didn't make the margin I wanted to make on it. Yeah. But for job costing, I, we're using third-party software for for that. I, mm-hmm. QuickBooks really doesn't have that much capability for actual job cost review, at least last time I checked. Is that still correct? I can still run a good job cost report. It just has to be set up right. But you know, people are using, what third party are you using? Co-construct. Co-construct. Yeah. And have you hooked it to your QuickBooks? Yes. Yep. And you have it successfully talking both ways. We're still, we're still in the beginning stages, getting up the learning curve, but yes, yeah. in theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And, uh, I'll, I'll be interested and keep in touch with you on the co-construct because I know this is where a lot of the builders are having difficulties. Uh, some people have used builder trend or co-construct and they literally unhooked from it. Yeah. They just said it was not doing what they wanted it to. It does a lot of things very well, but they were running into too many problems and trying to get it fixed and to get it right on QuickBooks was becoming too big of an issue. And so they just unhooked. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, now to get your financials working properly, you need to be running products and services. Most all of your job costs need to be products and services to work with co-construct. I don't know if builder turns the same way. Do you guys, if you have a client that you're just, they're just running all their job costs through QuickBooks, do you still have them set up with most of their job costs for as products and services? No, we actually have it as non-inventory items. Because it allows us to run the job cost report for all your sticks and bricks by just saying parts. Okay. And you can report just on parts and not have the uh, soft costs such as interest or property taxes if you're a spec guy. Okay. Got it. That sounds like a lot of retooling between going from one system to the next. Yes. Yes, it can. But if all you are is QuickBooks, then that's how we set it up to make that work. Yeah. Got it. That's good to know. Well, is that, let's see, we, we covered some good ground. Mm. Any other accounts that you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that would cover most builders going through their chart of accounts. I mean, some of your spec builders would have earnest money, land earnest money accounts that again, they just need to drill in on the detail, just run a job cost report and make sure that those contracts are still, that earnest money is still outstanding. We've had several builders that have left money on the table and they didn't check and it wasn't on the HUD. The tile company did not put it on the HUD. And so we had to circle back around and go collect it. Okay, got it. So, so that's probably for a spec builder when they're buying land just to make sure. And if you set up your financials right, you can literally run 
your balance sheet on that job, and you'll be able to see your loan outstanding, your customer deposit outstanding. So when you go to close, you can check that against your system. It makes it an easy check. Yeah. Okay. Did you want to circle back around for that uh, accounts payable question? Yeah, but while my mind's on it, I want to ask you about QuickBooks because a while ago when you and I talked, you were on QuickBooks desktop Mm -hmm. and saying that online was going to catch up one of these days. Has it caught up yet or is QuickBooks desktop still the probably the way to go? The desktop is still the way to go. The online, they just got purchase orders linked to their estimate. But the problem with that is when you go to say, I want to create the purchase order off the estimate, it takes all the line items. And so we know we pay, you know, a lot of vendors off of all those line items. So you have to delete all the line items to get their purchase order system to work. So it's not that great. And so far, the reports aren't as good either. Yeah. It just blows my mind that Intuit, being such a behemoth that they are, their desktop still is ahead of their cloud-based version. I don't know. Where where are they on on their innovation? They've got to catch that up. What's real interesting is that, because I talked to them about it recently, and then also a thing that just came out, is they are not looking to remove that desktop anytime soon. Really? So that says to me, yeah, they're not looking to remove it anytime soon. That is still going to be out there for a long time. They do not have it on their plan to take it out. The other thing that was real interesting that just came out last Monday was they have a change in their pricing plan. They now have another level up on their online services. And what's interesting is if you have more than, I think it's 250 chart of accounts, you're going to have to be in the advanced version. And the retail for the advanced version is $150 a month, opposed to, I think, the uh, next one down is maybe like $70 a month. Yep. Yeah. And then the other thing they're doing is if you have more than 40 classes overall, that you have to go to the advance. Now, for home builders, I always recommend to have classes as their job. So that, you know, people get to 40 real quick. Uh, we, we aren't recommending our builders being out there. But who is out there for us is our real estate guys that have single families. And a lot of those within a, you know, a time frame, they'll go through 40 houses between buying, selling, those houses over a period of time. So they're going to start forcing our real estate people that are online to move into a different product. Okay. More expensive. So it is interesting. I'm starting to see some changes and I understand they got to make money, but that one I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I do want to give people an option because maybe we didn't talk about this before was trap technology and the other ones, Harbor cloud, Now, people probably heard of Right Networks as well, Uh but Harbor and uh, Trap Technology will host your version of QuickBooks, and it's $50 per month per user for them to host your QuickBooks out in the cloud. And what will happen, though, is Trap actually gives your accountant for free. So two people can come in, but if all you have is a one-license you know, that's really not going to help. Yeah. But again, it's it's giving an option that now 
that's becoming just as viable as the online with the new pricing structure. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. I had not gotten an update on that in a long time. Now, you guys are hooking CoConstruct to your desktop. Is that correct? And not with the online? No, it is with online. It is with online. Yeah. And I think that they only work with online from what I understand. No, they'll do desktop. Oh, okay. Well, there was somewhere, somewhere along the line. I can't remember my brain's my brain has already eliminated this information, <laughs> but for whatever reason, maybe somebody with co-constructor, somebody said, do the desk or the online version and connect it. So I didn't even know they had that functionality with desktop, but yeah, so we're doing QuickBooks online with co-construct and we're in the early stages with co-construct. Yeah. So um, the, the only thing you'll want to look out for is to see how many chart of accounts you have. And, and I'm assuming they didn't say that they were limited on the number of jobs. Yeah. It's just the classes right. and then the uh, the chart of accounts. Yeah, got it. Yeah, we can we can circle back to what we were talking about earlier before we wrap this up. Okay. And I'll just share with you kind of our system to to catch some of these issues. And I welcome your your feedback. Mm-hmm. So, on our payable system, what we do is we've got an invoices email you know, invoices at my company's name. Mm -hmm. And we have all of our vendors and trade partners educated to send any invoices always only to, don't be emailing the superintendent or me or anybody, (laughs) always send it to that email address, which takes a little, little time to get people up to speed, but they send it just there. And we say, once you've completed your work, send us your bill that must be tied to the PO. Uh, so send us the PO and the bill to our email address by Monday at 5 p.m. I realize this is very strict, but this is just what we feel like has to be done. And if you send it to us by Monday at 5 p.m. and get it in, then we will cut you a check by the following Friday. So basically 10 days. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue with that is so best case scenario, we have a 10 day turnaround for our vendors and worst case scenario, if they get it in that Tuesday morning, then they just missed our cutoff by almost a week. So it goes to 17 days. Mm -hmm. We have never really had anybody complain about that cycle in my market. And everybody seems to be generally okay with it, which makes me think that it's still in line with the market. So on their end, that's what we require. And then internally, our purchasing manager, who also we're a a small team. So Mm -hmm. Our purchasing manager on Tuesday morning will take and review all of the um, all the invoices that came in, get that report into QuickBooks, and send it to our superintendents who will review it and approve, disapprove of any any invoices. And those that get you know disapproved get kicked out, and those that get approved get processed in. Uh, in as payables. Mm-hmm. And then the following Wednesday, we'll cut checks and sign checks and put them in the mail. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're, that's the way we do it. Um, kind of a few, a few stops to try to prevent double paying or, or different issues is I think one, the education up front on a system to our vendors to making sure it all goes through the same filter, through the same email address, getting it all in a report that's reviewed you know, at the same time each week by our, our superintendents and then cutting the checks. 
So that's what we do. The one evolution to that that I want to implement this year, I want to get away from cutting physical checks. And and uh, I think there are a few services like Bill, I believe it's Bill.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to switch to that, which allows us to get away from the checks and just send the, what, I guess they're EFTs. R-A-C-H. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I think that would be of net benefit to our vendors because they're going to be getting their check a little faster. The only thing is you got to get vendors who are savvy enough, who have bank accounts and who are okay to give you their information so that you can get set up with them. Yeah. That's my long winded version of how we do it. Yeah. Perfect system. I will tell you, uh, the different builders have different timetables. Some people are really nice and they get it on. I thought you were going to tell me you get it on Monday and you turn it around on Friday because <laughs> I have builders that actually do that. Yeah. Uh, they're a lot small. They're small to be able to do that. We would actually require our trades to get it in by Wednesday and it would be the following Friday that it would get a check would go to them. So we just went two days after you. Yeah. There's others that they only pay uh, twice a month. Okay. That's it. So I think everybody has their their standard. And what it always gets back to is, are you paying them in a way that they are showing up and doing the job that you want them to do? It's all about loyalty at the end of the day. And if you're a consistent payer and doing it that way, and you have a, a short enough time frame for them, they're going to be showing up to your jobs. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And and actually one thing we don't do that I would like to is get some sort of consistent, frequent communication with maybe even get it like on the footer of our POs or something. That's a reminder of what our pay cycle is Mm -hmm. and what that does. We've had plenty of times where perhaps we are in a hurry and we get a new vendor and it gets out there and, we forget to communicate to them our pay cycle and then we feel bad. And so we end up kind of breaking our process and cutting a check extra quick for that person. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's kind of stuff happens all the time. And, you know, it's not a big deal, but the problem with our business is that you have so many things. There are always these forces trying to shake up your day and get you unfocused. And, you know, there are always little fires. And if that's a, a little mini fire, then you just got to build systems to help prevent them. And one thing would be, uh, which again, we haven't done, but I want to little things like having your pay terms on the footer of your POs or whatever, so that you can always, you, you never are going to forget to communicate that to whoever you're issuing a PO to, even if it's a new vendor. Yeah. And I will tell you this, our goal every Friday was not to have a problem. But that was just one of those, I couldn't tell you how good we could be and we'd still have a problem. It's like, are you you kidding me? It's like, oh my God, we can't get this perfect one Friday. That's all I want. Just one Friday that, you know, (laughs) nobody comes in and say, well, I turned that in. And, you know, and this is back in the day, uh, (laughs) not now, (laughs) but still, it still goes on because we're still humans. There's no way that it's not going to happen. And so what I always told our team is, hey, even though we're their customers, understand as being in the accounts payable department, those are our customers. We need to make sure that we're treating them like our customers. 
because even though we're paying them, they're still our customers. So let's make sure because they're out there working for our superintendents, et cetera. We got to treat them like customers. We're not treating them like, you know, we're the customer. And so that kind of got our, our mental uh, thought process a lot better. So when those problems came in, it wasn't like, oh, crap. You know, it, you had a better mindset to deal with the problem. What a, what a great way to look at things, by the way. Oh, thank you. That, that's, the, that's the only, and I'm not being sarcastic, that's really the only, mm-hmm. the only rational way to look at things because things are going to continue to happen and there's no, there's no reason to get negative on, on those situations. You got to have a certain level of, of innate flexibility built into your mindset to be in the home building business. And, and when you constantly get barraged with different things, it's easy to go to the other side, (laughs) the dark side. Yeah. (laughs) But there's, there's no, there's no point in benefit to it. So I appreciate your words. Yeah. Now I will tell you Friday was always one of those days of, you know, it's like, oh man, so who's going to be at this Friday? I did always want to think, who's going to be my problem child this Friday? Who's going to come to my office <laughs> and ask me? Yeah. I didn't get paid. <laughs> so, okay, let's see what happened. Uh, but yeah, and like you, every time it happened, we tried to figure out where was the fault in the system and plug that fault. And, and but we had exactly the same system. But again, we were all human yeah. and the fault's going to happen. It's a lot of paper going through the system mm-hmm. or nowadays a lot of emails going through the system. Now I will tell you, I thought co-construct had the ability to approve stuff that the bill got put in. If it's talking both ways, the bill goes up and the superintendent can approve it from that. Yep. That's right. Okay. So that's what I thought. So yeah, if you can get that fully integrated, that'd be great. That would help tremendously to your, your superintendents. Yeah. There's, I always think like, I mean, co-construct or builder trend might pull it off one of these days, but there are so many facets that could be integrated mm-hmm. in a perfect world that would make our lives easier. And I fantasize about some like all in system, but I can't imagine what it would be like on the development, <laughs> on the development side to build something like that out. They have that but you're going to pay a pretty penny for it. So that's the problem. You can get that. Uh, Bricks is a system that's out there and you just have to make the decision and the commitment of, are you willing to pay? And I'm just going to throw a number. I'm not sure this is right, but the last time I saw, I thought it was about $700 a house uh-huh. to run it through that. And they do have that. Now that may not include that's everything. Bricks. Yeah. Bricks. I don't recall hearing about them before. Is that like just B-R-I-C-K-S? No, B-R-I-X. Okay, maybe now. They're out of Dallas. Yeah, they were in Austin. They started in Austin and the guy sold the company and I can't remember who owns it now, but I believe they're out of Dallas. My hometown. There you go. There you go. All right. Yeah. That's good to know. I'm going to research them because I had not heard about them before or maybe I had, but and had since forgotten. Yeah, and it's our large guys that have that. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, every home builder has different charts of accounts, different terminology, different systems and processes that uh, I can't imagine how these software platforms, you got to have so much flexibility to be able to accommodate different builders in that respect. And then, Jared, I just wanted to offer up there, too, uh, just real quick, is there's a really good book out there. In fact, it was one that... Kurt was required to read, and I can't remember which home building company he was with when it was there. And it was called Understanding Financial Statements 
by James O'Gill okay. and Moya Chatton, C-H-A-T-T-O-N. And it is on Amazon. It's one of these 50-minute read mm. books. You're supposed to be able to read it in 50 minutes. Yeah. And it, it's a really good basic understanding financial statements that people can have. And then, you know, if they want, I don't know if this is something, we have a checklist. We have no problem sharing the checklist. Now, I can't respond to, during busy season, to 50,000 emails saying, please send me the checklist. But if you want to share an email, we can get one to you. Then maybe they can send that and we can get that checklist. And if they want that, we can get that out to them. Well, let's let's do this. If you all will share it with me, we'll post it on the website. Okay. And that way they've, they've got it. Okay. Because that would be, yeah, that's an amazing help. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, yeah we want to make things easy because at the end of the day, we want people, you know, builders to be able to make good decisions and understand and feel comfortable with their financial statements. All right. We'll get that up. We'll link to the book. I'm excited to get this episode live. As always, I am. Um, after I leave talking to you, I leave smarter than, than I <laughs> arrived. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.